The following audio is the recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. You can visit our website at strosecc.org. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? I'm excited to be with all of you this morning and to open up God's Word with you. Uh, If you would turn in your Bibles with me, we're going to be in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 19, as we continue to look through Jesus' high priestly prayer. So this past week, several of our brothers and sisters I know celebrated graduation. So congrats to all of you guys. Praise God for that. Um, And when you think of graduation, you think of the end, right? You think, and I'm sure a lot of you are feeling extreme relief right now. It's over, you're done. Um, But what's funny is, as I was thinking about that this week, what happens at graduations, in order to celebrate, schools put on what's called commencement ceremonies. Well, commencement means the start or the beginning of something. And the reason why is because they're basically saying, all right, you finish up your training, you've gotten your degree, now it's your time to go, to do something with that degree. Um, now, how often that actually happens is a whole other conversation. But that's the point. You finish your training, you do it, and now you're on to bigger and better things. The reason I, I bring this up is because, in a sense, we find ourselves in a similar situation here in John chapter 17. On one hand, we're coming to the end of something. It's the end of Jesus' time here on earth. And as Drew faithfully taught us the past two weeks, this is a scene, this is a scenario that we're in in John chapter 17. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Jesus knows that he's about to be arrested He's going to be put on trial unjustly. He's going to be executed. He's going to be buried. He will raise again. He will appear as a witness. And then he will ascend to heaven. But while Jesus' time on earth is coming to an end, everything that's about to go down will also mark the beginning of his disciples' mission on earth. You could say the commencement, the beginning of their journey to go and spread his gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we see where we're at in John chapter 17. We see Jesus in this moment praying for his disciples. God the Father praying, God the Son praying to God the Father. And the question is, what does Jesus pray for? Well, this morning in our passage, we're going to look at three things that Jesus prays for for his disciples. So let's read the passage and we'll pray for understanding. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you this morning humbled and thankful, Lord. Um, God, we thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray Um, That as we go through this text, Lord, that you would just speak to us, Father. Lord, set me aside. I have nothing 
of good or wisdom to say, Lord. Um, I pray that, that we would hear from you this morning, God. Um, I pray that as we hear um, about the, the enemy we face in this world and your plans to keep us and to protect us and to sanctify us, God, I just pray that that would result in our worship of you, God. And so I just pray for clarity and understanding, God. Would you, would you speak to us and teach us this morning, God? Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that we see Jesus praying for his disciples this morning is this. Truth number one, Jesus prays for his disciples' protection. Jesus prays for his disciples' protection. Jesus knows what's about to go, go down, right? So once Jesus leaves and the disciples are commissioned to go and tell others about the kingdom of God, um, sorry, um, once Jesus leaves and the, the disciples are commissioned to go and, and proclaim the kingdom of God, they are going to face immense persecution. And why is that? The world will hate them because they believe the Father's word that Jesus gave to them. The world will hate them because they trust in salvation through Christ alone. The world will hate them because they look and they sound like Jesus. And Jesus mentions this twice in his passage. In verse 14, he says this, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Again, in verse 16, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. They are not of the world. This is a very important note to understand about Christianity. That phrase, they are not of the world, should apply to everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. And why is that? Salvation through Jesus Christ fundamentally changes a person's relationship with the creator of the universe. And thus, it has to change our relationship with the world around us. Because instead of being separated from God due to our sin and being destined for, for his wrath because of our sin, which all of us face in our natural state, the difference is Christians, through faith in Jesus, are transferred into God's family and adopted as his children. By God's grace, God changes our nature from being slaves of sin into being slaves of righteousness, as it says in Romans 6. And so naturally, we become aliens and strangers to the world that we were born in. Our values change. Our interests change. Our priorities change. What we think is the most important thing in life changes drastically because our citizenship is no longer here, but it's in heaven. And this had become true of the disciples. Their whole lives had flipped upside down upon following Jesus. They had left behind family and friends. They changed careers. Their whole life had shifted. And things were only going to change more, which is why Jesus prays over the persecution that he knows is coming their way. So you might be thinking in this moment, okay, Jesus, if you're interceding on the disciples' behalf, wouldn't it make sense to pray that they wouldn't endure that suffering, Right? Or maybe you might take them with you when you go. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus prays a very interesting prayer to the Father. In verse 15, he says this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
as easy and as simple as it would have been for the disciples to just believe in Christ and then just be picked up and removed from this dark, sinful world, that wasn't the plan that Jesus had. Jesus had a different plan. And we'll learn a little bit more about Jesus' plan later on. But for right now, we see that he prays for the disciples' protection. He prays that the Father would keep them from the evil one. What Jesus is essentially praying is this. As they go on to face the world, they would not give in to the difficulty of fighting sin and start living for their fleshly desires again. He prays that they would not lose heart in the face of persecution and compromise the truth. He prays that the disciples would not be swallowed up by the father of lies and forget the hope that they have in Jesus. Jesus prays that they would be protected from the evil one and that that would cause them to endure to the end. Again, Jesus prays for his disciples' protection. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The second thing that we see Jesus praying in this passage is this. Jesus prays for his disciples' sanctification. Jesus prays for his disciples' sanctification. To sanctify in the biblical sense means to set apart for God's special use and purpose. And so in this passage, Jesus asked the Father to sanctify the disciples in truth. Now, truth is a very hot topic these days. It seems like everywhere you look, you have different arguments saying, Truth is a relative term. You can have your truth, I can have my truth, and we'll be good, right? That does not fly with God. God says that there is an objective truth. And we see all over scripture, God emphasizing how important truth is. Just for a few examples, in Psalm 51, 6, we see that God desires truth to be in the innermost being of a person. John 4, 24 says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We're told to walk in truth in Psalm 86, 11. We're told to speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4, 25. Romans 1, 18 says that those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness will find themselves under the wrath of God. Matthew 7 even warns about people who do all sorts of things in Jesus' name, but because they fail to understand the truth and obey him, they will be told to depart from him. Truth is so important to God that Jesus states in John 14, 16, that he is the truth. And the Holy Spirit is given the name, the spirit of truth. So Jesus asked the father to sanctify the disciples in truth. Why? Because God's truth will cause the set apartness in the disciples that Jesus desires for them. God's truth will separate them from their sinful practices. God's truth will guide them down the path of life versus the path of destruction. God's truth will instruct them on how to be more like Jesus and less like their sinful flesh. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth says. Now what's incredible is that Jesus prays this prayer that the Father would sanctify the disciples in the truth of the Father's word. And we look at this now 
We get to look back in hindsight and see exactly how this prayer was answered. Because we know from scripture that the Holy Spirit would continue the ministry that Jesus began with the disciples. John 16, 13 says this, that the Spirit would disclose what the Father had said and lead the disciples into all truth. And the result of that would be that the disciples would end up going full steam ahead, banking their entire lives on this truth, turning the world upside down, and leaving behind for us a written account of God's word. And so now, thousands of years later, we have God's word. And we too, just like Jesus prayed for the disciples, can be sanctified in the truth of his word. We can read Jesus' statement to the Father in verse 17 that your word is truth and immediately think of 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, which says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, God's word sanctifies. It's living and active truth. It pierces our hearts. It molds us. It corrects us. And it equips us to do the good works that God has set before us. I was talking with Fabian earlier, and we were talking about um, Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, which says this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In our passage, Jesus prays that the Father will use his word to accomplish the growth and the maturity of his disciples as they get sent out. Jesus prays for his disciples' sanctification. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Truth number three. Uh, the third thing that we see Jesus pray for his disciples, uh, pray for his disciples is this. Jesus prays for his disciples' mission. Jesus prays for his disciples' mission. The purpose of the sanctification that Jesus prays for is so that the disciples will be able to accomplish the mission that Jesus is calling them to. In verse 18, he says this, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Talking about the disciples. Because what we'll see is after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the Father, the disciples would be commissioned and empowered to go out and accomplish God's will in the world. And they would go out by Jesus' authority, and they would complete the task that Jesus gives them. And this makes sense in light of what Jesus had already told the disciples earlier in John. Back in John 14, 12, Jesus said the disciples would do greater works than he. In John 15, John 15, verse 16, he told them that they, would, they would, were chosen to bear much fruit for him. In John 15, 27, Jesus tells the disciples that they, were, they would bear witness of him just as the Holy Spirit would do. 
So you remember earlier when we questioned why Jesus prayed for the Father to not take the disciples out of the world, but rather protect them in the world? It was because Jesus planned to use the disciples for eternal purposes. Jesus not only saved the disciples by calling them to repent and believe in him, but he invited them into the mission of going and telling others to do the same. And so in this passage, we see Jesus pray for the disciples' protection and for the disciples' sanctification so that they will be good witnesses and ambassadors of his name when he sends them out. And so in this sense, he prays for their mission. Verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus testifies in verse 19 that he sanctified or set apart himself so that his disciples would likewise be sanctified and set apart in the truth. You see, Jesus' whole earthly life was set apart for service to God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' complete commitment to doing the Father's will would ultimately result in him willingly offering himself as a sacrifice for the sin of us, of men. And it would be that sacrifice that would enable the disciples to be forgiven and to be made righteous before God through their faith in Christ. And only then could the disciples themselves also be set apart for service to God. And so none of it would have been possible without Jesus' own sanctification and consecration of himself, setting him apart um, for service to God, which is what he points out in verse 19. But the bottom line is, is this. Jesus wants his disciples to be set apart on mission for the Father so that, like him, they may also give their lives and love for the lost souls around them. Jesus prays for his disciples' mission. All right. So we've seen Jesus pray for these three things in our passage today. Jesus prays for his disciples' protection. Jesus prays for his disciples' sanctification. Jesus prays for his disciples' mission. And so even though the prayer in this passage was on behalf of the disciples, several of the statements that Jesus makes throughout the passage are truths that also apply to us. As Christians, we also are not of this world, and so the world will hate us. As Christians, God's word is truth, and we are to be sanctified in it. And as Christians, Jesus' sacrifice of himself also allows us to be sanctified in the truth. So how do we respond to what Jesus prays for? We have four takeaways that we got from this. Takeaway number one, pray like Jesus. This is a simple task, but it's a hard one to follow. I know Drew mentioned it before in his other sermons, but the very fact that Jesus himself is praying to God the Father 
means that we probably should too. Jesus is the perfect, sinless son of God who holds all things in his hands. And yet in submission to the father, he prays and he intercedes on our behalf. How much more should we as sinful people be crying out and pleading to God every single day for guidance and for help and just to praise him for who he is? So takeaway number one, pray like Jesus. Takeaway number two, expect opposition. Like the disciples, we too are also in this world, but not of the world. As 1 Peter chapter 2 says, we are sojourners and exiles in this foreign land that we're passing through. And so don't be surprised when difficulty comes for trying to be a faithful Christ follower. In our context, we may not get burned at the stake or, or have our head chopped off, but we might face some pretty awkward conversations uh, with our friends and our family as we try to be bold for Christ. And the pressure that we'll face will be to try and, and kind of dull down the gospel. Uh, to where it's not as offensive. Um, and, and, and just in all honesty, I felt like I kind of failed at that this past week. Um, so I was, I was up in New York and I was staying with some uh, very sweet family friends that we have um, that are just some of the nicest humans you're gonna do, that you'll meet, they, they've done everything for me and my family, um, but they're Jewish and they're, they're very Orthodox Jew, they're, they're, they're very involved in the temple. Um, and as we were spending time together, I, I kind of felt the, the pressure um, to kind of conceal Christ and to not speak boldly about him um, and, and fear that I would offend them. Um, and so that's something that we have to recognize, that maybe the opposition doesn't come in, in the form of a spear, um, but it can come in just having awkward conversations or, or the realization that something I believe might be totally opposed to what you believe. Um, and so I want us to, to encourage you guys, don't buy into the lies of the enemy. Jesus Christ is enough. Come what may. So takeaway number two, expect opposition. Takeaway number three, cling to the word of God. Cling to the word of God. As Christians, the word of God is our daily source of life. It's our spiritual food. God's word is true. And just like we saw in the passage, we need it to be protected from the evil one and we need it for our own sanctification and growth. Just like Jesus prayed for the disciples. And so uh, for a takeaway for us, if you don't have a plan to get in the word daily, um, I, I strongly encourage that you schedule out time on the calendar for it. Even if it's just a chapter a day, if it's 15 minutes, uh, of just reading and prayer per day, God will absolutely use it to do wonders in your life. Uh, the word of God is our food and we need it. So cling to the word of God. And lastly, our fourth takeaway is this. Embrace a life on mission. Embrace a life on mission. As Christians, it's not that we have to go and make disciples. No, no, we get to go and make disciples. We get to go and share Jesus with others. We get to be included in what God is doing in his great salvation story. As you imagine, if every Christian 
when things got difficult or when things got uncomfortable for them to live out their faith and they just quit, who then would evangelize and go and make disciples? Who would go to those who have never heard the gospel and preach to them the good news of Jesus? Who would teach people Jesus' commandments and how to live according to them? God's plan is for his people to proclaim the gospel message and to disciple others to become followers of Jesus. And he invites us to be a part of it. It will be hard, but it's worth it. Embrace a life on mission. Brothers and sisters, like the disciples, like Jesus prayed, we are protected by our Heavenly Father. We are being sanctified by our Heavenly Father. And the purpose is this, that we would be commissioned to go and proclaim His excellencies because He is worthy. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you, um, through Christ, Lord, are interceding on our behalf, God, like we see in the passage with the disciples. Lord, I pray um, that we would take what we've seen in your word, Lord, and apply it, and apply it to our lives, God. That I, I pray that I pray that we would cling to your truth, that you would use it to sanctify us, Father. Lord, I pray um, that we would cling to the hope and promises that we have in you, and that we would be protected from the lies and deceitfulness of the evil one. God, and I pray that we would eagerly go um, to be used by you, Lord, to be sent out and to share your good news with the world around us, Father God. God, we love you. And I just pray um, that we will take what we've learned today, God, and use it throughout our week. We love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.